Well, it sort of feels like I need to say we're going to shift gears a little bit as we move into the message today. Um, so my task today is to lead you in prayer and then to bring the word and the message and then to pray again. But I'm going to switch that a little bit in that I'm going to do the um, congregational prayer, the pastoral prayer, the community prayer after the message, because since I'm talking about prayer, I actually want to try and incorporate a few of the things that I teach you into our time of prayer together. So um, allow me to just do a um, just, there's never just a prayer, by the way, uh, allow me to do a prayer of uh, preparation. Lord Jesus, we're going to open um, the word, the Bible, the book, and it tells us that you are the word and so we trust that as we listen to these words read by me and then spoken by me, we will also meet you. And for that, we again continue to need your Holy Spirit to come and shape us and fill us and guide all that happens here that the miracle of connection with truth may indeed take place by your gracious gifting. This we pray in your name. Amen. So if you have been listening carefully in this service, especially last week in the sermon, you are pretty much expecting that I'm going to preach on Romans 12 today because, to be honest, when I was preaching last week, I was expecting that I was going to preach on Romans 12 today. But apparently Romans 12 is not in this series. And uh, that's okay because, as I've said in the last two weeks, the stuff in Romans 12 actually repeats a lot of what's in 1 Corinthians 12 two weeks ago and Ephesians 4 last week, and that's this. That the Spirit gives the gifts to whoever the Spirit decides should have those gifts and when. And with those gifts, we need the incredible gift of unity to bind us together. And there's a whole variety of those different gifts. So my apologies for not even knowing my own sermon series. Um, what we are following is the work of Acts 2. So Acts 2, 42 says they devoted themselves, the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so the first sermon in this series on, was on fellowship, the body, the unity, 1 Corinthians 12. The second one was on the, the apostles' teaching, as we looked at apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers on Ephesians 4. And today we're going to look at prayer, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14. Um, all of these things, again, to remind you kind of where we're sitting in, in this preaching series, all of these things are to teach us to pay attention to what are the spiritual gifts that, the, that God gives us. And the reason we're looking at those spiritual gifts is because the gifts we receive from the Spirit give us information um, and guidance into what in the world our missional practices are. And so as we receive, we should also be preparing and thinking and wondering together in our small groups about what do we give, what do we do, how do we serve. So today, 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to read... Um, verses 13 through 19, and pretty much any time that I read just a small part of a chapter, that's an invitation to you to read the whole chapter or the surrounding areas to get a feel for um, what else is there, the context. And I'm going to give you a bit of context on this one because 1 Corinthians 14 is really part of a, a three-chapter block, and I think this um, connection is, it's quite clear in the text. It's the whole piece actually about gifts, but it's striking to me because 1 Corinthians 12, service uh, two weeks ago, um, talks about the body and the spiritual gifts and, and the unity and all those kinds of things, and it ends with these words, verse 31, 1 Corinthians 12, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and from there it goes straight into, and remember, 
Um, the biblical numbers, 12 chapters 12, 13, 14, those are put on later. This is written as one single letter. So Paul goes straight from now, eagerly desire the greater gifts to, and I will show you the most excellent way, 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter on love. Then notice this, at the end of chapter 13, as it moves into 14, it starts with these words. Chapter 14 starts with, follow the way of love, chapter 13, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, the end of verse 14. Or chapter 12. So these things kind of go together. There's two chapters on gifts, 12 and 14, and, and in the middle of them is love, and it really tells us this, that as you think about spiritual gifts, the thing you need to pay attention to is, are you using them out of love for your brother, your sister, your community, the people around you in the world? With that then, the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 13. For this reason, those who speak in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can the others who are now put in the same situation as an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are trying to say? You are giving thanks well enough, but the others are not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, it's striking that Paul writes, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And that, one, it supports what I said a couple of weeks ago, that if we can desire gifts, that pretty much guarantees that we weren't born with a set of gifts that we need to discover and hang on to. We are actually having access to all kinds of gifts that the Spirit gives as He sees fit along the way. But it also begs this question, which are the greater gifts? And isn't it a little bit unhealthy in a body in which we are called again and again around gifts to keep unity to talk about which gifts are greater? So the simple answer really to the question what makes the gift greater is basically that it builds up the body. Verse 12 of chapter 14 says, um, Since you're eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. So the greater your gift is, the more it will actually be used to build up other, others, right? More, the more it will be used to build up the church. In other words, the reason chapter 13 is in the middle of 12 and 14 on these miraculous and powerful gifts is that the purpose of every gift, and this is the beginning of chapter 13, is that you use them in love to build up others. And so the greater your gift is, the more you're going to be a servant. The greater your gift is, the more you're going to lay down your life like Christ did for the purpose of other people. Right? And so the greatest among you, as Jesus said, must be the least. And the greatest gift among you must be used in the most humble service for others. As we approach gifts and as I think about this topic, particularly um, as we talk about tongues today in a minute, I am struck by words of Rick Warren as he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, a book that became um, a great bestseller and used in many, many small groups. 
you start to this amazing simple line, it's not about you. It's not about you. And when I ran into that line, when I first read that many years ago, it struck me that he had captured our Reformed theology on sovereignty in the most accessible line possible. Because sovereignty basically means God is in charge of everything. God does things according to his will and his plan, and he draws you into that. And Rick Warren said it, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about his plan. It's about putting ourselves in his hands. Connected with that in terms of humility in, in, in our gifts, I'm also struck and remembered a, a quote by Marva Don. Maybe this is the best part of being a new pastor in a new context, because I get to pull out all my favorite quotes and use them, so pretty soon I'm going to run out. Marva Don wrote books on Sabbath and on worship. And she told a story once, I'm not sure it's in a book or if I heard her speaking, when somebody came out of a worship service and she'd been leading that worship service and they said to her, I didn't like that song. And she responded, I didn't know we were worshiping you. I've only used that as an illustration in sermons. I've always wanted to use it, but I just can't find the right way to actually use that in terms of conversation with somebody. But it's still true. When we gather, when we use our gifts, it's not about us and what we receive. As strange that may seem, because you're coming here to be fed. It's actually about what builds up others and what celebrates God. When we keep those two foundational truths in place, it makes the whole understanding of the gifts and abilities and the things we bring to the table and the same things we receive in a much better kind of context. So, for the next piece of this sermon, I'm going to show you a whole bunch of pairings that show up in this um, in this passage. And as I say that, I realize Suzanne and I received a gift yesterday of a meal, and it was a pairing of ciders with food. This is not that kind of pairing; it's just pairs of words. So. Sorry, that just came to my head because it happened yesterday. Verse 13. Um, no, sorry. The first pairing I want to talk to you is about tongues and interpretation. Because verse 13 says, For this reason, those who speak in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. And it's funny, you know, I've read this passage many times, taught it a number of times, and it just struck me that it's the person speaking in a tongue that's also supposed to interpret that same tongue. I have always understood that. If, if somebody speaks in this group in tongues, somebody else should have the gift to interpret those. And here it says, not always, but sometimes, it's actually the same person being able to interpret their own tongue. So, that is the basic rule. And, and let me say, by, by way of introduction to the whole area of tongues, um, I happen to know this tradition well enough, having grown up in it, that I'm talking mostly to people who have no idea what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the gift of tongues, other than that. It is in the Bible, but we probably haven't experienced it. In fact, in my experience, because I have received the gift of tongues along the way, um, and I have taught it, and I joined Paul in his line where he says later in this chapter, I wish that all of you could speak in tongues. But very few people in my experience in our broader community have taken me up on that offer and said, boy, I'd really like to learn more about that or pray for that or receive that kind of gift. And that all by itself is cause for pause. What is it about us that we're not really that excited about this gift that Paul wishes we all had along the way in our experience? When there are tongues, point one, there needs to be interpretation. Right? And what Paul is really talking about here is tongues that are spoken in a public setting. Because if you, again, go back to uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 1, 
after the introductory line says, If I speak in human or angelic tongues. And what that teaches us is this. There are two kinds of tongues. Right? So sometimes when you're speaking in tongues, like the day of Pentecost, what you are doing is you receive from God the supernatural ability to speak another language. And those of you who are in, in school and you're taking French, for example, really wish you had this gift because you can go, I can automatically, as a gift of God, now speak and write French so that I can communicate with people. It doesn't quite work that way. You still need to take the course. But there may be an occasion in which you're praying for somebody. And I heard, I think this is a Nikki Gumble story from Elsa, where somebody was praying over somebody. They'd come forward for prayer. Someone was praying over them, and they felt the need to, to pray in tongues. And so they started pre- praying in tongues. And the person started smiling. And the person said, why are you smiling? What did I say? And the person being prayed for said, I'm Russian, and you're praying in Russian. And it so touched their heart to have their own language spoken to them. And imagine if you have a, a, a different heart language than English. Right? If I would suddenly start speaking your language, you'd be thinking, wow, what a deep connection. What an amazing gift from God, especially when you realize I don't actually speak that language. Right? Human tongues. There's also angelic tongues. A lot of people who pray in tongues never will pray very loud in a public setting. Because they know that the tongue that they're saying is not any human language, and there's nobody who's going to interpret it, certainly word for word, um, but say, oh, that's the language that I speak. Here's what you were saying. Right? Some of these tongues are simply for the purpose of personal, internal edification. Right? So, um, I have received the gift of tongues, and I'm pretty sure that the uh, tongue that I get to speak when the Spirit comes upon me for that purpose is an angelic tongue. Um, it sounds mostly like clicks. And, and when this tongue is, is, when I'm speaking in this tongue, what I'm feeling is far more important than anything I could possibly be thinking. Right? My experience with tongues is Romans chapter 8, verse, I think it's 26. The Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words that we do not know what we ought to say. Right? Particularly for me, as a person who does a lot of public speaking and, and can sit and talk and in a conversation, I'm usually not at a loss for words. Having the Spirit say to me, Eric, shut up. I'm going to pray in your place. And you're not even going to know what you're saying. I am going to use your tongue to allow you to pray. You can't imagine how overwhelming that is and how beautiful that is to pray and realize God has me right to this place where I don't even need to know what I'm praying about. I can feel that He is using um, His Spirit to cleanse me, to heal me, to restore me, to empower me for that next final step. And there are two kinds of tongues, tongues of humans, tongues of angels, right? The human ones need to be interpreted and they're used in public they need to be interpreted. So, then, the next pairing. Spirit and mind. Paul says in verse 15, I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. Right? And I want to suggest to you that if you grew up in, in the same little subculture here that I did, you're probably a whole lot better at praying in your mind, with your mind than you are with praying with your spirit. Right? And, and I want to try and say the difference to us. Praying with our mind is knowing the things that we need to pray for, understanding them, recognizing forms of prayer. Maybe we've learned the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. We use that as a guide or an act prayer, A-C-T-F. We pray that kind of prayer. It's, it's managing the prayer by doing it with our mind. And it's, I'm not speaking against it because we are people with a mind and we need to use our minds. We need a renewal of our minds. That's all good biblical stuff. 
praying with your spirit is understanding that there is something deeper that can go on in prayer, right? It is not a, it's not a merely a religious obligation to say things to God and turn things over to God. It's also a spiritual experience to allow God's Spirit to come upon us, to move on us, to shape us, to retool us while we're talking with and listening to God in prayer. Right? So when you're in public, when you're talking with other people, and that's what Paul's really talking about here, when you're in a worship service, right, what's said is most helpful right, if people can understand it. That's really his simple point over and over again. Why? Because the greater spiritual gifts are used for the edification, for the benefit, for the love of the people who are around you. It's pretty simple to illustrate, right? If I would start speaking now in some sort of language that none of you can understand, right, it might be fascinating for a second for you, but after a while you're going to go, I'm up, I'm going to change channels because I'm watching this on TV, and I have no idea what this guy's talking about, right? Fair enough, at this point. The next pairing, the initiated and inquiring. This is the best chapter in verse 23 and 24, a little farther in, in um, chapter 14. If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Yes, they will. It happens, right? Next verse. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, he's speaking the truth of, of Christ in whatever language of the day, English here, then they are convicted of sin and are brought under the judgment of all and the conviction of all, right? And so recognize that we need to be aware of, again, who is the audience, who are the others around us, right? So if you're in a community that's used to people speaking in tongues, when you speak in tongues, it doesn't phase anybody, it just becomes part of the prayer group, right? But if you are speaking in foreign languages and making all kinds of strange sounds and somebody comes in who's never seen this before, chances are they're not going to feel comfortable or welcome. That's really the basic point he wants to make. Again, everything we do is about the people who are around us, not merely about us. It's not about you, as the poem says. And then the pairing um, of more tongues. I wish all of you speak in tongues. Um, so Paul says, I speak in, more, in, in tongues more than all of you. He also says, I wish that all of you had the gift of speaking in tongues. He says, in the church, in the body, in the gathering, I'd rather speak five intelligent words, five understandable words, than a thousand tongues. Oh, for a thousand tongues is getting better the way that song comes from this verse. What Paul is really saying here is, I want you to desire gifts. He wants us to experience whatever gifts the Spirit will give us. Paul has said, no saying that the Spirit decides who you will give the gifts to. But he also always wants us to recognize when you receive things, even powerful experiential things like the gift of tongues, use them in a way that blesses others. It's not really about you. Let me tell you about another experience I had where um, a fellow I knew quite well, we were in, in a gathering where, where um, we were focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit, people were being prayed for. Um, he went for it, we prayed for it, and he was he was overcome with holy laughter, right? And probably up to that point, I'm not sure I even believe in holy laughter, but it does happen in, in churches that, that um, interact with the Holy Spirit in this kind of a way. And this fellow was uh, part of my life and my tradition. He became overcome with, with, with laughter. And um, I had actually just been speaking with him briefly before this, and the one thing that I was really clear on was that this guy needed to laugh. 
right? He had uh, been on a foreign mission journey, um, had just come back, was, was overwhelmed by what he had been experiencing, and was overwhelmed by the re cultural experience of coming home. Um, and he was, he was overwhelmed and depressed. And so when he went up there and was prayed for, he started laughing. I'm thinking, oh, praise the Lord, this is so awesome. But the leaders of the event took him out and put him in a different room. And they did that for the simple reason of 1 Corinthians 14. It wasn't particularly helpful for everybody there. For some people, it was just totally disconcerting that this man was suddenly laughing up there. And for others, it was they couldn't hear if they're continuing to try to pray for other people. And it was, it was all good in the end, right? It was just an illustration that the reason these rules are in place is not because something's good and something's bad. It's that the main point is that the word of truth from God, his prophetic truth, gets to touch lives. And what we're doing, even if it's incredibly beneficial to us, doesn't get in the way of that broader experience for many more people. So, this is a sermon prayer, and our tools for prayer, and tongues is one of those. My offer is to you, if you're listening to this, and you have been struck by the Spirit to say, you know, I think I need to investigate the gift of tongues, or maybe I need to pray and see the gift of tongues. You may do that on your own. If you want more conversation about it, feel free to talk with me. Right? At least deal with this question, why am I so uninterested in this gift that is actually something celebrated in the Word of God? Um, at least understand that. And then I want to talk with you about a couple of other tools that come along the way. They're not particularly this passage, but they're also prayer tools, and they're going to lead us into our time of prayer today. And one is words of knowledge. This is in um, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, in chapter 6. Words of knowledge. And a word of knowledge is when you're going to pray for somebody, and the Spirit says, pray this. Right? Um, and it's not always that audible voice that makes it really, really clear. It's just you have the sense. So, let me illustrate it this way. I was I was praying for, for someone, and it was a friend of mine, someone I knew quite well, and they had basically prayed for 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 peace and for the relief from what they were, were struggling with, which would be a pretty normal thing to pray for, right? And it was very clear in my mind that I was supposed to pray that they stay in the painful spot that they were. That's often, by the way, how you know something is, is a gift of the Spirit, because you're going, uh-uh, I would not even think of doing that on my own. But it was so convicting to me that I had to lead them into the place of, of, of dealing with the hard stuff, of sitting in that hard stuff, of facing that hard stuff, instead of simply having it removed and just being, being brought to a place of peace. And I prayed it. And it was just so deeply obvious that it was true to them because our conversation after that was all about, yeah, that was that's what I needed to pray. Um, and by the way, if, if doing these kinds of things and listening to the Spirit in this kind of way is new to you, um, there's a really important word that one of my mentors taught me about doing this kind of thing. It's called tentative. Tentative. Right? When you sense you have a word from the Lord, you are not suddenly Moses on Mount Sinai having ten things that you're going to write in stone and everybody has to believe them. You've been given one small piece for you to use in that moment, and you use it tentatively because it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not about you and your gift. It's about the person you're trying to edify. Right? So I started that prayer for my friend this way. Yeah, Lord, I don't know why I feel I'm supposed to pray this, but I do. And I prayed it. And then you find out that it's true. So you may now next time you want to get a word from the Lord of knowledge pray for somebody, I'm a little more bold in praying. I still use tentative. I still approach it carefully. 
I feel a lot of the person I'm praying for, but I have the sense that God does those kinds of things. God uses us in moments where he says, try this. And when we try it, we recognize it and tend to because we have a really good uh, idea. I have one more illustration of this. I have a little um, painting in my office here on that mountain here. And uh, it was given to me by someone I was working with. And again, I, I, I heard this prayer. I probably wouldn't even remember it now because that's now painted on plaque in my office. Lord, give us, give this person um, enough, confu- enough peace to keep going and enough confusion to keep on trusting you. Right? Again, a prayer of discomfort, a prayer of, of, of messiness, a prayer of having to trust. And I believe that when we enter into prayer and do this dialogue with God, right, and we're going we're to practice that in a minute in the congregational prayer, it's not just about what we need to tell God that we would like Him to do for us. It's also always about what God has to say to us. And words of knowledge are words that come to our mind that we can use. Tongues are words that come to our mind that we probably can't use because we're not sure what they are. Just God saying, I've got this. I'll take over for you. And then one more, and I sort of touched on it already. Discernment. Discernment. The Bible is usually written to you, plural. Or us, plural. It's a we book, W-E. Often when we read the Bible, and again, sorry for making you pick up personal life versions, because it, again, probably implies to you that that Bible passage is speaking just to me. The beauty is, all kinds of you pick the same passages, so it's actually a we passage, not the passage. Right? The Bible is always speaking to us. That's why this spiritual gift that God has given to you personally is not about you. It's about us. It's about the edification of many. And so discernment, then, is that prayer gift where when I've heard something and I'm not sure what to do with it and I'm not, I'm not sure where it goes from here, I lean into some other mature believers who are around me and I say, I've heard this. Does this make sense to you? Does it fit with Scripture? Does, does, does that jive with what's going on here? Do you hear God saying that as well? And that allows us to check and balance and work together. Um, discernment, by the way, isn't, yeah, I don't like that, because oftentimes God does give us words that we don't particularly like in the moment. Discernment is, is that in tune with God's plan and humbling yourself before me to step out in faith and follow me. Finally, then, my last point. Um, all of these gifts are meant to be used for mission. So I want to talk for a couple minutes here about missional prayer. What does it mean to pray? And I'm just going to tell you this one with a story. Someone called me yesterday, and, and I've always been convinced that if someone calls me with something meaningful, somehow connected with my sermon, that God's giving me a sermon illustration in the week that I'm preparing. So a friend of mine called me this week, and to set the context, it started by telling me, They've been having a rough time. They have not been feeling close to God. Their work has been incredibly busy, and so they're feeling kind of overwhelmed. And then someone called them with a complaint, a whine, I think is how they probably use it, label it, about something they had done and they had to go over there. And you can imagine their frame of mind coming into this conversation. And then the person says something that's spiritually kind of wacky, right? It was kind of way out of left field, possibly wrong if you want to judge it that strong. So you can just imagine my friends there going, oh, Lord, get me out of here. But they had 
extension their mind that they need to listen to what's going on here. So they asked the person a few questions and talked to them with a few things. And then they got this. Conscience from the Holy Spirit. You need to ask this person if you can pray for them. You need to ask this person if you can pray for them. And three, four times that came into their mind. They found that they should pray now. And then they did ask the person, can I pray for you? And the person said, absolutely. And based on the initial comment, I'm not sure this person was a follower of Christ in the first place. They were truly a seeker. And so they were able to have this missional prayer time. And the person, my friend, said, I walked away. And the person kind of followed me down the street, waving and smiling and thanking me like we were a longest lost friend because they had experienced Jesus in that prayer. And what I want to say to you with that is prayer is probably one of the most amazing tools of the mission. And I know that sometimes um, what we're taught to do is if we meet somebody and we sense that spiritual conversation is going, we say this, you should come to my church or you should meet my pastor, right? And then I become the missionary for all of you. That's not how it actually works, right? In fact, don't invite them to church. Yeah, you heard me right. Don't invite them to church. Invite them into prayer, right? Invite them into that relationship between you and God and them, where all three of you are experiencing the Holy Spirit at work as you, hopefully with words of knowledge and with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pray things on their behalf or for them or over them that help them go, there's a God, and He's at work in this moment, like it says in 1 Corinthians 14. And then once they are experiencing that, okay, you can invite them into the community. Start with your small group, please. Right? And I mentioned giving them a good training place to be able to just call a church at worship. So, with that, we're going to move to our time of congregational prayer. And it's going to go sort of like this. No, I'm not going to do a prayer in tongues because that wouldn't be edifying. I'm going to start with a topic or line. And sometimes I'm just going to ask on our behalf, Jesus, what else do you want to bring to our mind? Right? So you're basically listening. What is God saying to me in this moment? What word of knowledge, what discernment is He giving me? What's the Spirit guiding me to pray in this area? Right? Because, again, I, I want to speak to you on an ongoing basis that prayer is this two-way conversation. It's not only the things we say to God. Those are important when we just put ourselves in, in front of Him and open before Him. It's also, but what does He say in return? Right? Um, yeah, as, as we move forward, so after Easter, this is a preview, after Easter, I'm going to start teaching you some more specific missional practices. And a whole lot of them are going to have to do with listening to the Holy Spirit. And this is what I'm thinking right now. I'm going to tell you about a whole bunch of opportunities of things that I think I might be able to help you engage in and learn and teach. But I'm only going to teach you if you ask me to. Right? Um, part of this spiritual discernment is I need to learn not to lead by making you do things because I think it's a good idea. My ongoing prayer is that you want to speak in more in, in tongues more than anybody else, just like Paul did. That you want to receive um, an understanding of what does it mean to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in ways that give you words of knowledge and discernment and opportunities um, to experience all of these gifts for the purposes of the kingdom. But I need to let the Spirit be in charge because He is. And I need to get myself out of the way and take the humility and the relaxation of the community. Okay, on that, let's go to prayer. I believe, and in those silences, you listen to what God is saying to you. If you want to share them with me or somebody else afterwards, that's up to you. But I always like to experience this in this time. Let us pray.
Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you speak to us in this time, and we pray that you would give us the gift of faith, the trust that you can speak to us in this time. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that when we hear things, we at least explore them and wonder, and when we talk with others near and dear to us about what is this that we say and what is this that we need to do. So first, Lord Jesus, we come to you in hope, in the hope of this Lenten season because it ends with Good Friday and Easter, in the hope of moving forward in the seasons because we sense spring is coming, and in the hope that this time of pandemic is over and that as we pass and grieve this um, COVID anniversary, that we can also hang on to hope. Lord, we want to know something you want to say to one of us, all of us, many of us, about how we need to be in this time. Lord, speak to our hearts. And Lord Jesus, as we think about that COVID journey, as we think about local Christian schools that have had to move to uh, online learning again as we think about the timing of our further opening up, um, as we think about provincial guidelines, we think about vaccine distribution, all of these difficult things, Lord, um, there are differences among us, there are challenges among us, and we want to know, Lord, is there a word that you need to give to us, either for us as an individual or for us as a community about this COVID journey? series, uh, many of us are on a small group journey for spiritual gifts as well, and um, I just pray now that you bring to mind our small group or those folks that we talk about these kinds of things with along the way, um, and Lord, if there's something in those relationships that you need to speak to us about, whether it be a matter of uh, healing or a matter of moving forward or whatever it is you need to say, speak to us about our spiritual friends. Jesus, we are on a missional journey. We have committed as a community to figure out how do we learn some missional practices and how do we become a missional community. And so, Lord, we want to hear from you, um, again, for each of us or for us collectively. Is there a who that we need to be aware of? Is there a when? In terms, if we already know somebody, is there a when when we need to step forward? Is there a particular um, word you want to give us about our next step? Um, is there a call in our lives to join the online alpha? What is it, Lord, that you would say to us about our next step in our missional journey? Lord Jesus, as we go on this journey, there are probably a number of us who really having a hard time with this prayer because what's on our mind is someone near and dear to us who's had a pretty tough journey of their own. And uh, we've become aware at least this week that um, I've just been released 
service, even in the midst of that which is difficult, we know to give thanks for all that we have received and to pay attention to your goodness. Um, we celebrate with Bill and Agnes as they celebrate the 65th anniversary. Um, Lord, there are others around us who are having these kind of milestone things, and we just want to ask that you speak a word to us, uh, something we may need to say or do or celebrate for ourselves. Lord, what is your word for us surrounding celebration?